0: Mark. Mark Larson's going to join us here today delivering our message here for the sunrise service. Mark Larson's preached a couple of times and I've asked him to help me out this morning here for this first service. And uh, Mark, he's a part of our congregation here. Him and his family, their members, Sarah and their kids. And Mark also works out at uh, Twin Lakes Bible Camp. And it's a pleasure to have him here preaching this first service. So would you pray with me before we hand things over to Mark to deliver the message today. Father, I thank you for this time together in worship. And now, Lord, as we prepare our hearts to receive from you what it is that you've placed upon Mark's heart to share today, we ask for your grace upon this time. Lord, prepare our hearts to receive what it is that you have in store. We thank you now. We commit this time to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Russ. And Thank you for your prayer, everyone. Appreciate it. Uh, happy Easter. I'm glad to be here with you guys this morning. Um, this is a fun day. I like Easter. Uh, those of you parents who are hiding like Easter eggs and Easter baskets and all that stuff this morning, um, yeah, give them a good challenge, all right? Um, it's just one of the big things that sticks out to me about this day is like, uh, yeah, um, my parents, just I think they overestimated my ability to find the things they were hiding for me. I mean, I had all these younger siblings, and that was great, you know. Theirs would be, their basket would be hiding under the blanket, and, you know, or on top of a shelf somewhere, and they're like, oh, Mark, let's just put it out in the woods. You know, like, give them a big challenge. And so on. <laughs> but that was good. That was good for me. Give them a good challenge today. Um, but what I want to share with you guys, what I'm really excited to bring with you, uh, is <clears throat> actually not very far from what we've been talking about as a church. For this past series uh, i 've been hanging out with the Sunday school class in the morning uh, each Sunday, and as you know we 've been following this kingdom that we find in the Old Testament that starts with uh, Saul and then it 's passed off to King David and that 's what we 've been talking about and there 's this really cool, key, critical moment that happens uh, right at the beginning of this kingdom, like I said, Saul was king number one and His reign kind of ended in devastation. All right, I mean, all his family, his lineage—they are killed off. None of them are going to be taking the throne. The throne actually gets given; it's uh, passed off to David. All right, which most people are familiar with. And this neat moment happens when King David—he is wanting to build God like this permanent temple. All right, so far God has been worshipped in a tent. He wants to build God a temple. And we get this moment where God comes to him and he says, David, uh, you're not going to build me a temple, but I want to give you something. And we have what's called the Davidic covenant. These covenants are these promises or these agreements between God and his people. These covenants are a way that God is going to usher in um, salvation or a way to fix this major sin problem that's presented in the Bible. Um, And this covenant, specifically, uh, if you remember how it goes, is God promises to David that he is going to make his throne and the descendants sit on the throne uh, last forever. That is not the story, that is not the deal that was cut for Saul, all right? All his descendants, very quickly, they they were killed off. But the deal that David gets is that his throne is going to be established forever. His children are going to sit on the throne. Um, Just to read a few pieces here, this is 2 Samuel chapter 7. um, Like verse 12, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Uh, Another spot, verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be shall be established forever and that's a really exciting thing that's this cool deal that David's been given but as we've been studying all these kings that follow David um, I've been asking the Sunday school class every morning that we meet together like what does this promise look like as it's going down through this this kingdom how is this going to play out I mean, I really want to stress to you guys to get the most out of this morning to try to take yourself out of, you know, this century and this uh, time period and and America and to put yourself in their shoes. I mean, just pretend you're a member of this kingdom. You're living at this time, and you're curious. All right, God's given David this promise. How's this going to look? All right, so that's what I want you to think about as we go through this. Um, Right off the bat... King Solomon, he almost gets the exact same promise, and I say almost. Um, do you remember David wanted to build a temple for God? He didn't get to. His son got to. He builds this big temple, and like the, in 1 Kings it says the Spirit of God came down and like filled it up, and God gave Solomon a promise. That sounds like the promise he gave David, but he says, if you are careful to obey all my commands, your children will sit on the throne." your throne will be established forever. So it almost leaves you scratching your head a little bit. It was like, David was told that his throne would last forever. you know, No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And Solomon, he's getting told, if you obey and observe all my commands, your throne will last forever. So it's like, all right, what does that mean? And I want you to hold on to that thought because we're going to come back to it. But let's just keep seeing how this promise plays out. Solomon, as it looks, um, he probably has more potential than anyone to follow God's commands. I mean, he's given wisdom more than anyone has seen. I mean, that's a direct gift from God. He's proclaimed as the wisest man on earth. But his reign kind of ends rough, okay? He does not stay careful to observe all God's commands. So, so far, this is looking a little iffy, how this promise is going to play out. Then we get all of these kingdoms uh, right off the bat with Solomon's son Rehoboam, like, he loses ten tribes of this kingdom right off the bat. You remember when Russ was up here tearing that cloak into, like, ten pieces and handing it off? Um, Those of you who weren't here, it it was an image of this prophet tore this cloak ten pieces off of it. And that was a picture of what happened to Rehoboam. I mean, he mishandles uh, very poorly the, uh, the transition of the kingdom to him. And all of a sudden, there's this new northern kingdom. So it's looking pretty rough so far. So you've got this northern kingdom of Israel. You've got this southern kingdom of Judah. And all of northern kingdom, all Israel's kingdom, kings, they're not going to follow God. They're going to stray away from his uh, commands. They are very disobedient to God. Um, Judah, this southern kingdom that has Solomon's son reigning over it and all his descendants, half of those kings, ten Of those 20 kings and one queen, um, they're not following God. Only half of them are credited at all with observing God's commands. And of those 10 kings that observe God's commands, that are credited at all with having any goodness in their reign, four of those 10 don't end well. Four of those 10 observe the sins of their fathers. And so you've got 15 out of 21 rulers... um, not observing God's commands, they, they die in rebellion to God. So, how's this promise looking so far? I mean, it's not gone. David's descendants are still sitting on the throne, but things are going kind of rough, all right? Uh, a little while later, you got this big outside kingdom called Assyria, and they're attacking these kingdoms. They're attacking Judah and Israel, and they take over Israel, I mean they're gone, they're wiped out, they're taken into captivity. Uh, Judah, though, where David's descendants are, are still king, you know, his son and his son and his son, they're still sitting on the throne, but they are barely hanging on. They are hanging on by a thread. I mean, they are being persecuted and attacked on all sides by Egypt and Assyria and this other kingdom, Babylon, but they're still hanging on. I mean, it looks like it's rough but God's promise is still kind of evident. David's got a, a descendant sitting on the throne in Judah. Um, but then you kind of have the nail in the coffin. We aren't really given a lot of detail about this guy, but there's a, a descendant of David, um, and his, uh, his name, he's, he's one of the last kings of Israel. His name is Jeconiah, all right? And Jeremiah is a prophet, At that time, there's this big book of the Bible. It's it's called Jeremiah. Um, There's this little insight into Jeconiah's reign. This is one of David's descendants. We're not given detail about what his sin was, but we know that God gives this word to Jeremiah. He says, write this down. I want you to regard this king, Jeconiah, regard him as childless. None of his descendants will sit on the throne." And so, if Solomon sort of mishandled what this promise was going to look like, that, that his descendants were going to sit on the throne, I mean, if it was rough then, Jeconiah puts the nail in the coffin. Very shortly after this, this big kingdom, Babylon, will come in and they will wipe out this last remaining kingdom. They're going to take the, uh, all the remaining Jews there. They're going to ship them off to Babylon And I'm just asking you, if you're thinking about what it's like to live in this time, what do you think about God's promise? You're thinking way back to 2 Samuel, like, God told David, no ifs, ands, or buts about it, that his son, one of his descendants, they would always have a throne. What does this mean? Like, I can only imagine that this is pretty devastating. And if you read, a lot of Jews to this day that don't regard um, any, uh, well, spoiler alert, Jesus is king, um, they're still frustrated about this. What do we make of God's promise way back in 2 Samuel? This is devastating. There's no kingdom anymore. There's some glimmer of hope, though, that I want you to be thinking about. While Israel, sorry, while Judah is falling apart, sort of in the last hundred years of it hanging on by a thread as a kingdom, they can see that things aren't good. They can see that things are not going in a good direction. There's this uh, this prophet named Isaiah, and he kind of gives a glimmer of hope. He paints a picture of the kingdom that is not what is around them at this time. And so the first place I want to read is like it's Isaiah nine. Uh, verses 6 and 7. And this is a word of the Lord that Isaiah gets, and just follow along with me here. Um, They're hearing this at a time when the kingdom is not looking good. It's hanging on by a thread, but it does not look good. Um, And this is what Isaiah shares. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government, think about a king here, the government shall be put on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Just think about that. We're going to call this child God. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Listen to this. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts. Will do this. This is harking back to that promise. It's like Isaiah is saying, God is going to still fulfill this. There will come a day when there's a child born and he's going to be like no other king. He's going to be called God. He's going to be sitting on the throne of David just like God promised a long time ago. All right? One more thread of hope offered by Isaiah. This time I'm reading out of chapter 52. If you want to go there, uh, chapter 52. And I'm looking at verse 7. I'm sure maybe you've heard this before. Uh, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion... That's like Israel who says to Zion, Your God reigns. This word good news gets translated, it gets used here twice. Um, In the Greek version of this book, uh, this is the good news that's called uh, Evangelion. Those of you who've heard that, that's gospel, okay? I mean, that is good news. We have the good news that God is going to reign. What else did Isaiah say? That that God is going to be king? That there's going to be this kid born? They're going to call him God? He's going to reign? This is not what they're looking at currently. Right now, we're at a point where the kingdom is just about crumbled. I mean, it's hanging on by a thread, and Isaiah's saying, pretty much saying, God is going to be king, sit on David's throne, and this is going to be good news. Like, beautiful are the feet of the person who brings this good news. That's awesome. But I'm going to ask you to wait about a whole 700 years, which in that time, um, remember, Judah's going to fall. Babylon will take them captive. Um, Israel or the Israelites that lived there, they will be permitted after like 60, 70 years, they'll be allowed to return back to their homeland, Jerusalem but they're like a shadow of their former self. Um, They fall under the control of all these big empires, like Persia, and then they're handed off to Greece, and then they're handed off to Rome. And that brings us 700 years. And I'm asking you to think, what do you make of God's promise if you're an Israelite living in that time? It doesn't look like there's anyone sitting on David's throne I mean, this has got to be frustrating. You've got to be scratching your head and asking, like, what, what is God doing? How is he going to fulfill his promise? Um, introduce, at this time where the Jews are under Roman control, there's this man named Jesus who's born. And if you don't know a lot about Jesus at this time, um, if you're just kind of an outsider, you might be hearing things like there's this guy who is telling everyone to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of what? The kingdom of heaven. I mean, this kingdom that is supposed to be God's. That David, one of his kids, is supposed to sit on the throne. And there's someone saying it's at hand? I mean, if you're looking around you, it might not look like it's very close. Like, Rome is pretty well dominant right now, alright, but someone's out there saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand and then he goes around say, preaching the gospel, did you know that that God, or that Jesus preached the gospel, we often say that the gospel is, you know, the story of like Jesus' death and resurrection and all that, and that's true, but Jesus is going around the countryside and he's preaching the good news where have we already talked about good news? In Isaiah. I mean, the good news, the gospel that Jesus is preaching about is that this kingdom is coming at a time that they're looking around thinking, I don't think so. This does not look like God's kingdom. This does not look like it used to with David and Solomon. Like, this is shabby, all right? But there's this Jesus guy. He's preaching the good news that the kingdom is coming, and on top of that, he's doing all this miraculous stuff. He's healing people. Um, I want to bring you to this moment later in Jesus' ministry where he raises someone from the dead. I mean, he raises this man named Lazarus, and this gets a lot of people excited. Um, If you're wanting to know at this time, um, how is God going to fix this issue of there is no king right now, um, I think a lot of people are getting excited. There are all these promises that God is going to send a Messiah. All right, There have been all these promises, like in Isaiah, that he's going to send someone to be on the throne. And a lot of people, I believe, are scratching their heads thinking, is this it? Like, is this, is this the king? Could this Jesus guy really be the king? I imagine some people have a problem with Jesus being the king, though. Purely for logistical reasons. Do you remember how Solomon, the promise of his descendants being a king was like a conditional thing? And he kind of mishandled that. And then to put the nail in the coffin, Jeconiah, none of his children was going to be on the throne. So how can this promise that David would have a descendant on the throne still be true? I mean, if Solomon and Jeconiah, if these guys killed that, how can this be true? Well, if you, uh, if you read carefully the genealogies, if you get excited about nerding out about those, um, there's a really fun one in Luke uh, where you realize Solomon is not David's only son. He really mishandled the potential for that promise to go down through his line, but David had another son. This son's name was Nathan. Nathan. And you get this genealogy in Luke that tracks from David to Nathan all the way down to Jesus. And that's this really cool picture of like, oh yeah, this could be the one. This could be the king. He is a descendant of David. I mean, it just looks like God's promise is coming into full picture here. And they're getting excited. And he comes into Israel. Um... And this is so cool, guys. Remember last Sunday, we celebrated Palm Sunday. All the kids were running around with the palms in here. If you weren't here, um, just believe me. Uh, we, we celebrated Palm Sunday, and that is a day that recognizes this event. After Jesus raises that man Lazarus from the dead, getting a lot of people excited, he comes into Israel doing something that, if you don't like Jesus, he's doing something that's kind of provocative. All right? There's this, this uh, prophecy, okay, in the Old Testament, when they know that their kingdom has been destroyed and they're looking for a king someday, um, there's this guy named Zechariah. And in his book, uh, chapter 9, verse 9, he's telling Israel, there is your king riding in on a donkey, humbly. Like this is something that's been written down for a long time, And at the time, if you don't like Jesus, if you don't like what he's doing, this is sort of a, like, who does he think he is? He's riding into Israel, um, making this statement, if you will, that he's riding in on a donkey. Like, he's pretty much telling everyone, yeah, I'm king. But if you're excited about Jesus, this is really cool. It's like, oh yeah, Jesus is coming in. He's going to be the king that was promised by David. This is this is it. We're going to turn over the Romans. Like we're going to we're going to take the kingdom back, and um, they're even calling out to him, calling him the son of David in this moment. Do you get that now? Like the significance of calling him the son of David. They want God's promise way back in Second Samuel to come true. They want to see this happen. And things get really exciting for a week. And then they kill him. They put him on a cross. And it's like for the second time, what seemed like any shred of hope of this promise of David's descendant sitting on the throne, it looks like it's been dashed to pieces. For the second time, it's like there's, there's no hope anymore. All right. I can imagine some people were happy to see Jesus go. And I can imagine some people were confident in what Jesus meant when he said that he would rise again. But I imagine for the majority of people, when Friday night hit and they put, they killed Jesus, that they got to wrestle with that. And all Saturday long, they got to wrestle with that. And they just got to scratch their heads and say, what is God doing? But then Sunday morning, we have the women go to the grave to tend to Jesus' body, and they don't find him. They think he's been carried off, but they see an angel that says like, now you are looking for the living among the dead. And if you're wondering, what does this have to do with God's promise to put someone on the throne, I'm, I'm excited to say, if you want to turn to this, this is Ephesians um, chapter 1. And I don't have time to teach, you know, all of the applications that are found in this, uh, this chapter right here, um, but take a look at just verses 19 through 23. There's an important point or an important connection made here. Um, all right, verse 19, Ephesians chapter 1. and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. i got to ask you guys, I mean, is Jesus king? Is, Je- is Jesus king? Yeah. Is Jesus king here in like Palmer, Iowa, 2022? Yeah. Yeah. Does David have a descendant sitting on the throne? Yeah, yeah he does. Like, guys... This is is that promise in 2 Samuel. It's fulfilled. All right? We know who's come to do that. We know who is sitting on the throne forever, just like God promised like a thousand years ago. Well, a thousand years before this. Sorry, a thousand years before this moment. We get to see who is the everlasting fulfillment of that promise. And his kingdom is doing well. I mean, it it looks like it's healthy in Palmer, Iowa this morning, and all over the world, and even in places where governments today are threatened by this idea. Because I don't know about you guys, this is application number one that we are citizens of this kingdom first. I'm sure everyone all over the world could say that they enjoy a lot of things about their country. I can say that. there's a lot of things I'm thankful for about being an, an American citizen. There's a lot of things that are, are tough with it. There's a lot of things that are not perfect and that are actually downright scary and got to get worked through. But I know given the decision, given a point that I have to choose my primary allegiance, there is no question. I am a citizen of this kingdom first. And I'm asking if you've never thought about that before. Like, where does your primary allegiance lie? What is most important to you? That's that's the first thing I want you to think about. Looking at this, are we citizens of this kingdom? Second, um, and I wish, oh, if I had a half hour to pause right now, I'd go through Romans five and six, and I'd tell you guys about this picture painted by Jesus' death and resurrection, and something that Paul in Romans shows us. He says, uh, just, just as Jesus died, he says that that is supposed to be an image of the members of this kingdom. That is supposed to be an image of what happens with them. Like, we are to put our old selves and our sin to death, just as Jesus died. And then just as he was raised up, we are a new creation. All right? And this kingdom that he ushers in is not a kingdom that's going to come by force and elites, but it is going to come by people who are changed and who model his life of service. What kingdom that we know of was ever established by weak, poor servants But that is the model that Jesus gives us. And that is the model that we're supposed to demonstrate as we go out today. Not ones that are going to take the world by force, but those that are going to serve. Just as Jesus did. All right, those that are going to be humble. Those that are going to... I I love you guys. Those that are going to (laughs) go clean up, you know, after a tornado wipes through. And they're like, no doubt about it. Guys, that that was fun getting to see, you know, this church just step into action. I mean, service you get to see the real power behind service. And what happened this last week, I think, was just a tiny taste of it. All right? How much power is in service? Like, that's the kingdom that God is setting up. That's the second thing I want you to think about. Third, is I want you guys to have hope because while we know who fulfills this promise, this Davidic covenant from God, I would argue it is not completely fulfilled yet. Jesus has said he is coming back to set up a rule and authority on earth. And just like they, way long ago, had to wait for that promise to be fulfilled, to to see who that was going to be, we're in a position of waiting now. And guys, I'm asking you to hold on to hope and faith that Jesus is going to do what he says he's going to do. Just like they had to wait for it, we've got to wait for it. He's going to set up his kingdom and and reign, and we're going to be members of that kingdom where death will be no more. Guys, we serve a risen Savior, and he is offering that same life to us. I am begging you, if you've never thought about this before, that that same life is offered to you, that you find someone and grab them and say, what does this mean? Like, how do I get some of this? Um, If it sounds crazy, I mean, like, my goodness, guys. The experience of new life, it is like nothing else. And I'm asking you to enjoy that today, to live in that and to go out and just be encouraged by that. So, please, one, um, know that we are a citizen of the kingdom first. Two, being a member of this kingdom means service. It means being the least. And three, uh, hold on hope that Jesus is coming again. Um, Guys, thank you for letting me share with you. I hope I didn't get go too long. Uh, I'm going to pray. And then, uh, I think they got some food. That'll be fun. Lord, I'm just so thankful um, that as dark as things can get, Lord, you fulfill your promises. And I ask for uh, hope for me to continue to live in that. I ask for hope for everyone here to continue to live in that. Um, Lord, I pray for your kingdom to be more and more realized through the people uh, here in this room as they go out into Palmer and Pokey and Rockwell City and Manson and, Lord, everywhere that you've got us going today, that wherever your people are, your kingdom is as well. Lord, thank you for coming back to life um, and showing us that you are the, the fulfillment of this promise, Lord. You are king. We love you, Lord. Amen.